I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Judges chapters 3 through 5. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. In Judges chapter 3, we begin with the test and Israel fails. Verse 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them, that is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians and the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath. And they were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives, and gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. You want us to serve other gods? We're in, Israel says. Their ancestors didn't drive out the inhabitants of Canaan as they were commanded. Now God leaves the Canaanites among the Israelites, it says, to prove, as in to test them, and to teach them to take a stand. But what do they do instead? Love, not war. They intermarried with those people and served their heathen gods. These Hebrews just seemed to have a bent for compromise. Pleasing their neighbors just seemed more important to them than pleasing God. And that's just like many Christians do today. So then we have the appearance of judge number one in the book of Judges. His name is Othnael, and he's to the rescue, verses 7 through 11. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years, When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them, Othnael, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. So the land had rest for forty years, then Othnael, the son of Kenaz, died. Well, Israel deviated from serving God. Instead, they did some Balaam, that's plural of Baal. They did some Balaam worship along with some worship of the goddess Asherah. Asherah, by the way, is a transliteration of the Hebrew word, but it's translated groves in the King James Version. How trendy, his and her gods. As a result, God allowed them to fall into the bondage of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, for eight years. That's the region in the area where modern-day Turkey and northern Syria now lies. That's where Isaac and Jacob went to get their wives. When Israel repented and cried out, God sent the first judge, Othniel, to bail them out. Now, you remember Othniel, Caleb's nephew. 
He also became his son-in-law when Caleb awarded him his daughter, Oxal, as his wife in Joshua chapter 15, verse 17. He won her in a contest when Caleb declared that the one who could conquer Kirjoth Sefer in Canaan could marry her. Caleb would have been very proud. Othniel gave them 40 years of peace after he rescued them. Beginning in verse 12, we see the second judge of Israel, Ehud. He slays the really, really fat king of Eglon. Verse 12. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, went and defeated Israel, and took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, eighteen years. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gerah, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. By him the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was double-edged and a cubit in length, and fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. So he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. He said, Keep silence. And all who attended him went out from him. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. Then Ehud went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. When he had gone out, Eglin's servants came to look, and to their surprise the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, He's probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. So they waited till they were embarrassed, and still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore they took the key and opened them, and there was their master fallen dead on the floor. But Ehud had escaped while they delayed, and passed beyond the stone images and escaped to Sirah. And it happened, when he arrived, that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains, and he led them. Then he said to them, Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time they killed about ten thousand men of Moab, all stout men of valor. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for eighty years. This is an amusing story. Israel has fallen under the dominion of the Moabites at the hand of King Eglon. Notice the interesting phrase in verse 12. It says, The Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel. God himself used the Moabites to chastise Israel for their sin. Here's the big story. Eglon was obese. Big man. So how fat was Eglon, the Moabite king? He was so fat that an 18-inch dagger went into him, blade, handle, and all, and the knife disappeared. Now, that's fat. 
Ehud told him he had a secret message for him, and so Eglon's servants left the room. And what about Judge Ehud? He must have been a pretty big man, too, to carry an 18-inch dagger hidden on his thigh. Some secret message he was carrying to the king, huh? He escaped, though, and it was some time later before King Eglon's servants went in to check on him. With the doors to the upper chamber locked and the smell emanating from the room after having the contents of his intestines exposed, in verse 22 we see that, exposed with the dagger, they thought he was attending to his needs. The King James Version translates the Hebrew phrase accurately when it says covering his feet in verse 24. That's a Hebrew phrase which means taking a number two bathroom break. That's a time when everybody wants to be left alone. While the servants are gladly giving King Eglon his space for his special time, Ehud is escaping. You must admit that this was one of the more amusing stories in the Old Testament. And then immediately following this incident, the Israelites were emboldened under Ehud to go after the Moabites. They killed 10,000 Moabites and experienced 80 years of peace and freedom as a result. Incidentally, you'll notice in verse 15 that we're told that Ehud was a southpaw, a left-handed man. Here's the lesson. Never extend the right hand of fellowship to a left-handed man with a knife in his left hand. That brings us to judge number three. His name is Shamgar. He kills 600 men with an ox gold, and he only gets one verse. Well, that's verse 31 here. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anoth, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. Oh, those Philistines and their gun control laws. According to 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 19 to 22, the Philistines banished the weapons of their conquered people and controlled the blacksmith trade. That's gun control before there were actually guns. All the Israelites were permitted to own were farm implements. But Shamgar had an ox goad. That's a tool used to prod oxen and clean a plow. And he used that to kill 600 Philistines and thus delivered Israel from captivity. How creative. In Judges chapter 4, we have judge number 4, and it's a woman judge. Her name is Deborah. Never send a man to do a woman's job. Verse 1. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harasheth Hagayim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had nine hundred chariots of iron, and for twenty years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lepidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor, take with you ten thousand men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun? And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. 
Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedesh. He went up with ten thousand men under his command, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Za'anaim, which is beside Kedesh. And they reported to Sisera that Barak the son of Abinoam had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, nine hundred chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from Harasheth Hagayim to the river Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with ten thousand men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak, and Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Hagayim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword, not a man was left. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you, and says, Is there any man here, you shall say no. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand, and went softly to him, and drove the peg into his temple, and went down into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. And then as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him, and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And when we went into her tent, there lay Sisera, dead with a peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Well, Ehud died, and Israel was at that idolatry thing all over again. This time, king Jabin of Canaan conquered them with his 900 chariots of iron and ruled over them for 20 years. The Israelites call upon Deborah. She was a prophetess and a judge among the Israelites. They want her to help them. She calls for Barak and devises a plan. He insists that she go with him to command the Israeli army of 10,000 men. She says, all right, but she warns that if a woman goes, then she'll end up getting the glory instead of Barak. Actually, her exact words in verse 9 are, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. That prophetic word actually is fulfilled when Jael gets involved at the end of this story. Certainly, um, Barak must have thought that the woman who will get the credit must have been a reference to Deborah alone, and he's good with that. <laughs> what a man. He enlists help from the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. Those 10,000 Hebrew men chased the 900 chariots. Sisera, the captain of King Jabin's army, he flees the scene. Well, don't stop here. It gets better. Sisera ends up finding refuge in the home of the wife of an ally. Her name was Jael. She fed him and gave him milk to drink. 
He asks that she guard the tent door while he sleeps and turn away anyone that might be looking for him. She agrees to do so while sleeping. She takes a hammer and drives a tent peg through his temple into the ground. Ouch! Subsequently, King Jabin is destroyed also. How about that? Two women deliver Israel from Canaanite bondage. Deborah's prophecy is fulfilled regarding the role of a woman in the death of Sisera in verse 9. Incidentally, Sisera should have done a background check on Jael before entrusting his safety to her, because we discover from verse 11 that Jael was married into a Kenite family just like Moses. Therefore, loyalty to Israel's enemy was simply out of the question. Gotta stick up for family. And then in Judges chapter 5, Deborah decides to write a song. Now, she could fight, but uh, songwriting, I don't know. Let's read it. Verse 1. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord, this Sinai, before the Lord God of Israel, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael. The highways were deserted, and the travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased, it ceased in Israel, until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods, then there was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among forty thousand in Israel. My heart is with the rulers of Israel, who offered themselves willingly with the people, bless the Lord. Speak, you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire, and who walk along the road, Far from the noise of the archers among the watering places, there they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. Then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty." From Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with your peoples, from Maker, rulers came down. And from Zebulun, those who bear the recruiter's staff. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. As Issachar, so was Barak, sent into the valley under his command. Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings for the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And why did Dan remain on ships? Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. Zebulun is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. The kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought in Taanach by the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. O oh, my soul, march on in strength. Then the horse's hooves pounded, the galloping, galloping of his steeds. 
Curse Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. He asked for water. She gave milk. She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera. She pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell. He lay still. At her feet he sank. He fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. The mother of Sisera looked through the window and cried out through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? Her wisest ladies answered her, Yes, she answered herself, Are they not finding and dividing the spoil to every man a girl or two? For Sisera, plunder of dyed garments, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed, two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. Thus let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. So the land had rest for forty years. Well, Deborah writes a a song, one of those very lengthy, long songs. It's a story song, and it recounts the whole ordeal of chapter 4 with a little speculation at the end with regard to Sisera's mom, you know, waiting for him to come back home. Remember the song that Moses wrote back in Deuteronomy chapter 31? Well, this one tops it, in my opinion. And as for Barak's willingness to allow Deborah to get the glory for his great victory— Her folk ballad pretty much immortalizes her, and by the way, who remembers Barak? We do get a little bit of additional detail in this song about the battle itself. We see from verses 15 through 17 that Reuben, Gilead, Dan, and Asher refused to join in the battle against Sisera. We also see, beginning in verse 20, that Deborah had a little bit of supernatural help from God. As the rains fell, the river Kishon overflowed its banks, The chariots and riders were swept away. Oh, and that other woman, Jael, she gets honorable mention in this song along with her people, the Kenites. It goes from verse 24 down through the end of the chapter. So when Deborah told Barak that if she assisted in the battle, she would end up getting the credit, well, she made certain of that prediction when she wrote this song. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.